section, Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers. Welcome to episode two of season three. Today, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Pepper Basham. Aside from having a really cool name, Pepper is a wife, mom, writer, speaker, and speech-language pathologist. She writes historical and contemporary romance with a love for Britain and her native Appalachia, which I'm trying to say the right way. Her stories are peppered with grace and humor. I absolutely loved talking with Pepper. She is a sweetheart. I mean, she has just such a sweet spirit and a gift for encouraging others, and she's so humble. Um, I think that really will come through in this interview. At least, I hope so. Let me know what you think. So without further ado, here's my interview with Pepper Basham. Pepper, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you so much, Allison. I'm really glad to get to be here. Your latest novel, The Mistletoe Countess, released on September 1st. It has great reviews and I'm enjoying reading it. Can you tell us about this book? Uh, yes, it is a um, historical romance that has a little bit of everything in it. Um, it's got mm-hmm. mystery, it's got humor, lots of humor. Uh, it is about a marriage of convenience story between an American heiress and an an aristot- arist- aristocratic earl from England, and he marries to save his estate. So the process is really... Uh, character-driven, I think the story is, between the hero and the heroine as they not only try to learn how to navigate marriage unexpectedly, (laughs) but also uh, there's a murder plot in the middle of all this. And they're trying to solve this mystery right around Christmas. So don't you always want to do stuff like that right around Christmas? So basically, that's the idea of the story. Yes. Now, it's interesting. Before we started recording, you told me that you don't like scary books, but (laughs) (laughs) I just read the section where the heroine, um, Grace, goes into this uh, kind of like closed off section of this huge house that they live in and and looking for um, a ghost. So that, I mean... It wasn't really scary because of her attitude, but I I think that's interesting that you can write about something that could be really scary, but it almost was more comical. Yes, and I think that's where I take sus- I take I take mystery and suspense that direction. I want to give it that lighter side. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not one to go toward as much the darker side of it, and so I think that's why I enjoyed adding it to this story so much because you can you can take it to that little bit of a lighter side and show the fun in the middle of the mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So what inspired you to write this story? Um, I, I don't know how other authors do it. Um, and each book seems to be, it seems to have a different kind of inspiration or starting point. This one in particular started when I was visiting uh, Biltmore house, which is, Mm-hmm. really close to where I live. And I was walking down one of the bedroom hallways and I get to visit it often because I'm a pass holder and I live just, you know, 10 to 15 minutes from it. And um, I'll go there for inspiration lots of times because it's a very inspirational place. Nice. And I was walking down one of the bedroom hallways and there is a 
a back kind of quote secret stairway from one of the bedroom hallways into the upstairs of the library and it's mm. shadowy and and it you have to know where it is to want to to go down it Mm-hmm. And there's a bedroom that's right at the top of those stairs. And I looked at that bedroom and I said, I wonder what kind of person would want to sleep right next to those stairs so they could get to the library. <laughs> and, and as soon as I asked that question, I started this character started growing in my mind and in my heart too. She is definitely lovable. And, yes. um, and so when that happened, uh, she started turning into a story and I knew pretty early that her name was going to be Grace in some form because Mm -hmm. I already knew by her character that's what she was bringing into people's lives and I wanted that to be a big part of we already know her she fits her name yes I love that (laughs) so um you have mentioned to me that the theme of identity identity plays a big role in the mistletoe countess. Can you expand on that maybe? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I didn't even know that that was the main theme of the story till I was about three fourths of the way through. And mm. as a, as a writer, you're looking back on your stuff and sometimes you're happy with it. and Sometimes you're really not. But um, when I started really breaking apart how these two came together and what the hero needed And what Mm. Grace at one point needs in the story is a reminder of who she is, because Mm -hmm. when we know who we are and when we know that we are loved, we live a different way than when we don't know those things. And Grace really embodies the idea of being, of knowing that she's loved, that she's, she's secure in that love. So she's free to live and love and forgive and not Mm -hmm. hold grudges and And all of those things that I think we have a tendency to to question how loved we are. So it makes us, we we don't forgive as easily or we we hold a grudge or we don't live freely. And and I think the Bible is very clear. In my Christian faith, it's very clear that God is calling us to love freely um, and to live with that knowledge of being held and being secure. And when we do that, when we really grasp it, and I don't. I don't grasp it like I need to. <laughs> it's a constant learning process, right? It's a it's a right. success and failure process. But when I really have those moments where I grasp it, there's such freedom and s- such a view of the bigger picture and not getting lost in a, on a page of your life. Um, so I think that's the big idea is that Frederick has to learn who he is. And Grace at some points has to remind herself of who she is. And that's what she does for people in the story. She brings that reminder of who, of what love really looks like. Um, and it changes people. Yeah. Yeah. I'm somewhat um, almost in awe of her ability not to hold grudges or <laughs> not to like get upset about things that happened in the past that I think I would be upset about. See, me too. I was connected by my character. I'm telling you. <laughs> right. Oh, it's a good reminder. And that loving freely is so, it's such a battle sometimes. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I I feel like you kind of answered this question already, but what, if you want to expand on it at all, um, what do you want readers to take away from this novel? Yes. So a lot of what I just said um, is, is yeah. 
Uh, but, but I think even more so, like what I was saying about what Grace did for me when I was writing her, was reminding me that it's easy to get caught up in all of the, the fear or the worry or the or pride even. This is what should have happened to me. I should have had things this way. Oh, yeah. Um, instead of stepping back and as an example, we see the beautiful example we see in Christ of complete love of loving in the right way all the time because he was completely sure of his identity. So he could love that way and he didn't have to hold crutches and he didn't have to, I mean, he, he held, he stood up for truth when truth needed to be stood up for. Right. And Grace mm -hmm. does that in this story. Um, yes. She also, though, she's, she's also naive and she's young and she's learning. Right. So you get all of that part of her character where there are little flaws here and there too. And she's distractible. She probably <laughs> would have been diagnosed with ADD. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah. um, but there's also that undercurrent that I really want people to leave with that if we, as Christians, I mean, non-Christian readers read it and they enjoy it too, but right. as Christian readers read it, if, if we recognize who we are in Christ, mm -hmm. if we can just hold on to that just a little bit and weigh, yeah. weigh our current circumstances in the view of eternity and God's love, then it really places all of our hurts and wounds and offenses on a page and not in a whole story. And that changes. It's just a page. We're going to turn mm. the page and there's something else that's going to be different. This is mm -hmm. just a page or maybe just a sentence or maybe just a word in our lives. Um, but God is writing a whole story of our lives. And that that helps me. Just saying it right now reminds me of, yeah. of what peace really is. Uh, it, it reduces the anxiety. It reduces my need to feel like I have to be right and I have to be heard um, because I don't have to be right if I'm secure in who I am and know that God will make things right, you know? Yes. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. Um, I'm thinking of how like Grace felt all this pressure to become something that was it expect that she was expected to be mm -hmm. and um but she did she just came back around to like okay i can rest in the this is the way god made me for some reason <laughs> yes. and for and for this situation um so that's uh, what a good perspective for us to try to have in our right. own lives. And I know. And she's fictional. So she can be all the things that we struggle with, you know? <laughs> right. I, mean, I get the fact. I recognize she's a fictional character. But I also see in her things I wish I could remember more often. And instead of getting clouded, you know, by my need for whatever, you know, that's not showing love or that's not resting in my identity. Um, she's a good reminder that there are there are ways I can grow to be more secure, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Pepper, can you tell me a little bit about your research and writing process? Oh, uh, yes. Um, Other so, than going to the Biltmore. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I could just awesome. yeah, soak it all in for like long periods of time. Um, <laughs> right. It's a wonderful place. Um, so research usually happens for me. I, I, most of my novels that are historically set are set in the Edwardian 
era. So Mm -hmm. I've been doing lots of research on the Edwardian era for a while. Uh, So thankfully, some things I already know when I go into writing a book that's set during that time period. But research is the biggest thing um, besides putting words on a page that we do. Um, yes. And daydreaming. <laughs> <laughs> I think daydreaming is very effective. I do and it a lot. Procrastinating. <laughs> well, I procrastinate too, but I daydream about the stories. And so that's that helps good. me because I work a day job, right? And so yes. I have to be primed to write when I have the time to write because uh, mm-hmm. I want to make it as um, efficient as I can. But so research happens uh, a lot uh, with looking at the time period, looking at the clothing uh, that I had to do a lot of research on uh, vehicles and mm-hmm. which ones were available because I was a little, this book takes place just a teensy bit earlier than some of my other books. Some of my other books are taking place more in the late 19 teens. And this okay. is earlier in the 19 teens, right before world war one. And so um, fashion was a little different. It wasn't quite as relaxed at this point as it is later in the 1900s. So I had to look at some of that. And also the big research for this was the, um, the class difference, uh, the expectations for England, if you're rich, versus the expectations for America and how that might look different um, because the cultures are very different. Um, even though they're both from wealthy families, uh, the expectations in England for yes. a, a, an aristocratic family is different than a rich family in America, especially new rich. And so I tried to explore right. that a little bit in the story. Um, so the writing process, though, is really like I was just saying, trying to write when I have the chance and being ready to write when I have the chance. So daydreaming really is an effective part of my story career. Yeah. <laughs> and I hear that from from quite a few authors that they spend their time, their like, like downtime, not downtime. Um, you know, like driving time. Right. Time something. when your yeah. mind doesn't have to be occupied with something else. Exactly. Um, daydreaming about your your story. Yeah. So have you always loved to write? How did you get started? Yes. Um, I, I think my mom would say that I was making up stories when I learned how to talk. And some <laughs> of the stories were true and some of them were not. So I guess I lean more toward the not true stories, huh? But um, since I write fiction, but, um, but I grew up in uh, an Appalachian family uh, in the mountains of Virginia, Blue Ridge mountains mm-hmm. of Virginia. And my granny Spencer used to tell oral history stories. So I would sit in her kitchen or sit with her in the porch swing and hear her talk about ancestors from three, four, five generations back and their stories and how their stories related to my story of being part of their family history. And I just fell in love with the whole concept of story through her narrating kinds of things that uh, in our family history and things that when she was a child would would have to to live with and through and um yeah there was there was a love to that there's a there's a i don't know a lyricism to storytelling and i think i learned that through her because she would always seem to make it like i was reading a book um when Mm. she would talk about it so i i was i mean i have 
my first quote story I wrote when I was 10 and illustrated poorly. Um, and I still, I still have it first chapter book that I wrote and I don't know what it is, but I tried to draw everybody with huge noses. I have no idea. If that's the case. <laughs> but to be honest, I was writing stories really when I was very small. And then, um, it just, they just became bigger stories and bigger story ideas. And I'm so thankful. I am just incredibly grateful that God gives me this, has given me this gift and the ability to write it, uh, to write these, all these characters that I have living in my head that yeah. need to get out on the page. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so can you tell me about your path to publication? Like when was, oh, how yeah. did that all work out? It's a long story. I'll try to sum <laughs> it okay. up. That's <laughs> okay. Take your time. Um, I, um, I went to my first writer's conference in 2000 and in 2000 was my first writer's conference. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea about how to do anything. So I showed up there and I didn't know what a synopsis was. I didn't know I was supposed to have business cards. I had mm -hmm. no clue, but I knew that I liked stories. So I went there in 2000. Uh, clearly, I'd already had some story ideas. I was a mom of two very small little boys at the time and working full time as a speech language pathologist. So I don't know what I was thinking that I was going to be able to write anything. And so, um, and so, um, showed up there, learned what a synopsis was, learned took some classes for the first time and realized I had a lot more to learn. So the next three, four years while I was, uh, had another child and was pregnant with the fourth child, I, um, started taking online writing classes to learn more about the craft to how to become a better mm -hmm. writer. Mm -hmm. And so in 2000 and, 10, I attended my first ACFW conference and submitted one of my stories, which won mm. uh, for an uh, unpublished, uh, well, it, it won in the Blue Ridge Christian Writers Conference. I won in that one. And that was like my encouragement that, oh, maybe I can do this. <laughs> you know? yeah. maybe it's so not it won, it won it at ACFW and no, no, it won in the Blue Ridge Christian Writers Conference. And then the next year I submitted for ACFW uh, and I was a finalist in two categories for that one. Okay. And so those two years, besides meeting all these other authors or pre-published authors, um, that kind of just, you found your community, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes. I was also getting some affirmation that what I was writing wasn't horrible. And right. so <laughs> it was kind of like that moment of, okay, I might try to keep doing this, even though, I mean, it was, I was going to be doing it anyway, whether people liked it or not, because it just kind of, it just came out of me, the stories. But, yes. um, but so that was like the affirmation. And then, um, <clears throat> I started pursuing publication, um, 2010. And then my first book was published in 2015 with a small press, Inspire. They mm -hmm. signed me on for a three book contract. So I wrote, I had two books with them published when I signed another contract with a small press for a contemporary series. So my first series was historical. My second uh, series was contemporary. Mm -hmm. And so I've been both, and small presses. And then the small press thing was kind of, I was trying to learn, navigate that because it's very different and, yes. um, and very different based on the small house. And so right. I, I tried an indie, I tried a couple of indie books then too. And so, because I had these books that were getting to pub boards, but were still being rejected. 
Mm. And I thought, well, if they're making it that far, maybe they're not so bad. <laughs> and so I did a little bit. Of, I've done indie publishing, too. And so in 2019, uh, 2018, actually, I got my first contract with Barber Publishing uh, for, mm-hmm. his, for historical. And then I have published The Mistletoe Countess was my fourth book with Barber. And uh-huh. my my big cool news, that's my new step, that's my next step, is that I'm signing a contract with um, Thomas Nelson for a, oh. two, yeah, for a two-book contemporary romance series. And I still get to write my historicals with Barbara. And so... Oh, wow. Yeah, that's so exciting. I'm still going to do the both the two genres that I adore. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's... It's been a long journey. And I really love trying to encourage other authors and also give them advice from where I've failed um, to help with perspective and encouragement. And um, in reality, I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's not fun. There's plenty of times it's not fun. There are plenty of times it's frustrating um, Mm -hmm. and and hurtful. And why am I continuing to be rejected? (laughs) All those things, but there's also that, persistence of seeing even if it's baby steps seeing progress um Mm. and so i've i've enjoyed i've actually really enjoyed uh the independently published process um a lot Mm. um and knowing that i can i can keep books in front of my readers consistently that way even if i'm alternating between traditional publishing and independent publishing so that's been a a really neat thing for me to learn Right. That's interesting. Um, now, you mentioned that you work a day job as a speech language pathologist <laughs> and you're a mom. And um, a pastor's how, wife. Oh, a pastor's <laughs> wife, too. <laughs> so, how do you balance everything? I mean, I know you, you said that you have to think about your um, story when you're not writing so that you're ready to write. What does uh, what's a day in the life of Pepper Basham? <laughs> okay, like, so like? yeah, uh, insane. Um, so I get up early. I make breakfast every morning for my family, um, and so usually up about up around six o'clock, mm-hmm. and then uh, get everybody where they need to go. Um, my older three are drivers and on their own. Kind of, they still live with us, but they're navigating early young adult stuff. So they mm-hmm. kind of can get where they need to go on their own now. Thank the Lord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the younger two are still dependent on their parents for transportation. Mm-hmm. So usually what happens is uh, we get everybody where they need to go. I get to my job. My job is usually uh, my first appointment happens at nine. My last appointment can end anywhere between four and six. And um, I get home work on dinner. And then once dinner's finished and cleaned up, we start thinking about maybe doing some writing. Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, So writing, I'm actually much more, I'm much clearer in my mind in the evenings than I am in the mornings. That's amazing. My mind is mush by then. (laughs) But but you know what I think it is? I think it's because I'm thinking in a very different part of my brain for the daytime. Right. Yeah. Then I get to switch it. I think if I was still having to do all my daytime stuff that late in the evening, it would I would be more mushy brain, Um, but I think I've been waiting, you know, it's like the prize at the end, you know, waiting to be able to write the fiction. Um, 
now the past two weeks I've not I'm not kept to that schedule because it's release it's been release week and um, mm, yes. new school starting for kids and trying to make sure homework is getting done and everybody's getting all the things they need to do first. So there are times when I don't stick to that schedule because I can't. Um, but most of the time, once all of the family gets into a rhythm, I'll do my day job. Sometimes during lunch breaks, I'll write a little bit on fiction while I'm, you know, scarfing down a sandwich. And, um, mm-hmm. but, um, most of the time I'm an evening writer. I have, thankfully, God's been so gracious that um, I do a four-day work week. So Tuesdays oh. are my writing day for doing all the marketing and planning and setting up my posts for the week or setting up my, you know, whatever I need to do for the week so that things are still in front of people and I'm still making writing progress and I'll even write some on Tuesdays, but Tuesdays are specifically set up for me to do all the behind the scenes stuff that you right. have to do in the writing The world. business side of mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Which takes up so much more time than anyone ever. <laughs> yes. yes, it really does. Imagines when they <laughs> dream of writing a novel. <laughs> exactly. You just want to put the words on the page. What? All yes. this other stuff? Oh. <laughs> right. So you have some upcoming releases you wanted to tell us about. Yeah. Um, I know you mentioned the Thomas Nelson contract, but I think you have other. I do. Hey. I do. Okay. So the mistletoe counts is the one we've talked about and it just came out last week. And then yes. uh, to stick with that Christmassy theme, um, I am part of a novella collection with uh, authors, Janine Roche, Kara Putman and Teresa Tysinger. And the novel collect novella collection is called Christmas in Mistletoe Square. And oh. it's, yeah, it's really sweet. It's four contemporary romances that take place in a, forever Christmas town in the Blue Ridge Mountains. So, oh, neat. yes. Um, does this town really exist? It does not exist, but we're okay. basing it on a real town. We uh. we have towns around here. Like if you go to Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge, like it's always Christmas there. Always mm. Christmas. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, this town is pretty much always Christmas. And of course it's happening around Christmas time. So it's even more festive. And each of the stories kind of link one to the other around this certain week. Um, well, two weeks. It's from the month of December in this one year. So everybody meets each other or talks about each other throughout the four novellas. And oh, so wow. it's connected that way. But they're all they're all um, sweet romance with some mm-hmm. humor involved and um, – it's been really fun to work with these ladies. They're all very good writers and just really great people. And you put that together and that makes the combination sweeter. Uh, it's like whipped cream on a hot chocolate. And so, right. Uh, so that one's coming out October 1st, that collection. And mm-hmm. then I have my next book with Barber that's coming out in July, 2022, which is my, um, The Heart of the Mountains, which is another uh. story set in Appalachia in, uh, early, in the early 1900s. And it's a story between a returned World War I uh, soldier who is from Appalachia, who's never been out of his, his hollow until he is called into war. So he's had to not only deal with great atrocities, and pain, but he's also been exposed to a totally different world, a much bigger mm. world than he'd ever imagined. And then uh, the heroine is a 
British nurse who's escaping a arranged marriage and she finds herself in Appalachia and the two of them are trying to rescue um, broken people in Appalachia who need education, uh, hygiene education in some places and medical education in Appalachia. So it's, um, oh wow, it has, yeah, it has its humor, but it has a little more of a dramatic bent in, in those stories. Um, mm-hmm. So Thomas Nelson, you want to give me a little bit of t- a hint about that one? Yes, please. Okay. So I just got the title. They conf- they confirmed the title that I wanted, which was great because you don't always oh, get that. Oh, yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. They signed, I, I got to sign a two-book contract for a contemporary romance epistolary book. Oh, and, wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. So it's all through emails and texts because it's contemporary, right? And uh, yes. so that's the way we would communicate. And it has, it it was my COVID book. I started writing it right around the beginning of COVID because I needed something light and fun mm-hmm. and sweet. And it is a um, matchmaking story. Uh, it, oh, wow. Yeah. So it involves family being really, most of the time in our epistolary books, we are focusing on the hero and the heroine and their communication back and forth. This mm-hmm. one, this one just became the whole family's communication with trying to set up this young lady who is introverted librarian lives in Mount Airy, North Carolina, which is near where I grew up, uh, mm. Mayberry, Andy Griffith community. Ah, wow. <laughs> and, she's, <laughs> and she's set up with this. She's set up on this, um, a matchmaking service online and she meets a guy from across the world who's a who lives on this island <laughs> and, oh, wow. and he is very bookish and he's not really been in many relationships and the, the and his family get involved so all of the emails and the um the story is about how she, if she's going to be brave enough if she's going to be brave enough to take take the opportunity to risk her heart on somebody she's never met in person or if mm-hmm. she's going to continue to live in what's safe. So it's called Authentically Izzy, and it's supposed to be out in fall 2022. So, yay! <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds so interesting. Yeah, very different. That's really cool. Very yeah, different. definitely. But, um, and challenging, I think, to bring yes. the entire story. <laughs> Uh, through letters and or emails and texts. Well, and, and s- slowly as the story goes on, it switches to you get moments of third person mm, throughout. So it's, cool. it starts off with almost solely um, letters. And right. then you slowly start getting glimpses of third person so you can to get that perspective of what's happening outside. Oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. It's so much fun to write. I bet. Yeah. Sounds cool. Um, so this is a question I ask all of my guests back to the historical perspective now. (laughs) (laughs) How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I think history is there for a reason. We should Mm -hmm. be learning from the people who were before us, um, on things that worked well and on things that didn't. And I think a great example of that, and I keep returning to you know, my faith, but the Bible is a book with history and the Israelites and the Jewish community in general, the Jewish culture is all about this happened back then. 
You know, this influences who I am now. Yes. Um, my past, my ancestors past are a part of how I've become who I am and where I am. Right. Um, and I think I, I just love history, but I also really appreciate that we can look back on times and say, this is this this was a beautiful part of history, how people treated each other here, how mm-hmm. how this was presented in this time of that we've lost in our current time um, right. or different kinds of things where that were broken that we've learned to make better in our time that we would continue to want to make better. We yes. can just learn from that. Um, I also appreciate history for the fun of it, getting to to delve into a time where it's not my time and try to see from a perspective that's not mine. I think that teaches me how to be a better person, uh, trying to step into shoes that aren't my shoes and how people would respond and how they would grow. Um, I, I said, I've said this before, um, but when I first start a story, the first thing I do, and it's a really weird thing, and not everybody gets it, but the first thing, the first thing I do is I ask each of my hero, my hero and my heroine, what is mm-hmm. God trying to teach you in this story? That's the first mm. thing before I do anything else. I mean, I'll write down some sketches about the the characters or I'll write down a little bit about the time period or where I think the story's going. But early, early on, I'll pull up that heroine in my head and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, here you are. What does God need to teach you in your story? Because really, that's where we all are, right? In history and right. in today, God is writing our stories and he's teaching us if we're Christians, he's teaching us how to be more like him and how to glorify him in, in our lives. But even in our, the stories that we write as uh, these fictional characters, if it's from a Christian worldview, whether it's overtly Christian or, or not, um, I love coming from that perspective because we all are in our own worlds, in our own stories, our own lives, growing toward the end of that story. Um, yeah. And so if as Christians – uh, we already know that we have purpose and mm-hmm. that we're not just placed here to breathe a few times and make it to the, you know, and get old and wrinkled and then go on. Right. We're not just here for that. That happens. No. Right? But, right. But there's a much bigger view. And I think that's encouraging. And I like to look back on people in history who, who also had that kind of perspective and see how they, took that purpose and used it to grow and to touch others around them and how that can inspire me to be the same way. Right. Wow. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I don't always live it. I'm just saying, I know, I no, know it in my well, head, but it doesn't always make it to my heart when it needs to, to say it. Of course. I mean, yeah, we're all growing, as you said. Right. Works in progress. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Pepper, this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, what's the best way for listeners to follow you? Oh, yes. Um, I love reader interaction and mm. love hanging out with other authors and readers. It's just been so much fun to to be a part of that reading 
and writing community. So if you guys want to get in touch with me, um, I'm very active on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can find me there. I don't think there are a whole lot of pepper bashams out there in the world. And <laughs> um, I also try to keep uh, Pinterest boards for each of my books. For those of you who like to have that visual uh, storyboard kind of along with stories, but for activity, really Facebook and Instagram are my top two. And I also, um, my website is very user-friendly and will give you a lot of information about the stories I have, a little bit about me. You get to see some cute pictures of my kids and um, learn more Mm -hmm. about me that way. And, and oh, yes, I think, and I have a podcast that we were going to. Yes. I was going to toss out there. Yeah. Tell me about your podcast. So it's new. And Jamie Jo Wright, author Jamie Jo Wright and I are learning about how to be podcast people. (laughs) But um, we have a podcast called Smooches and Stabs. And why it's called that is because Jamie writes suspense and scary books, as I call them. And I write (laughs) lots of romance books. So putting the two of us together was quite a thing. And um, we take historical events and turn them on their heads. And we will uh, try to, if there's a historical mystery that's been unsolved, we will try to solve it. Her with her fictional suspense brain and me with my fictional romantic brain and we'll come mm. to solutions. So it's it's really meant to be a fun time of just listening to us and our, our conspiracy theories about historical <laughs> events. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) So Pepper, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been wonderful. I thank you, Allison. Thanks so much. And I really uh, enjoyed it and appreciate you asking me. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Pepper as much as I did. If you are enjoying Historical Fiction Unpacked, please subscribe or follow this podcast And if you could also leave a star rating and review, that would be super helpful. That helps other people find the podcast, other readers of historical fiction. Also, check out the show notes. They may be in your podcatcher, but if they're not, you can always find them at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. And there I have links to... Pepper's books and to her website and her social media accounts so that you can follow her. And also, I will make sure I have a a link to the um, novella collection that she mentioned that's coming out tomorrow. So um, definitely check that out. And I hope you enjoy her books. You can also join our Facebook group. That's the Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group on Facebook. Um, You can get there from the show notes, or you can just look it up on Facebook and join us there. We would love to have you in that group. So my friends, I'm going to leave you today with a quote. Since identity was such a huge part of the Mistletoe Countess, Pepper's latest book, um, I'm going to read you a very short quote about identity by Leonard Sweet. If your identity is found in Christ, then it matters less and less what people think of you. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you again next week.